job. Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you again. Thank you for uh, leading us in worship and great testimony by Christy. I did want to mention, Christy did share at the end of the first service that we were just talking. She, she um, had mentioned to me, she forgot to say this, but if there are any of you, she said, that are struggling with any of these mom-related issues, she said she would love to talk with you and pray with you. You could email the church or we can help you to get in touch with her, but she did want you to know that. Before we get started this morning, I want us to pray for our missions team that is in the Netherlands right now with Austin, so would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this Mother's Day, and thank you for our mothers and grandmothers, and Lord, we know that even as Christy shared, this isn't for everybody a time of great rejoicing because of um, many different things, Lord. So I want to pray that you will comfort those who are grieving um, the loss of their mothers or those who had a strained relationship with their mother or maybe today are still in a very painful relationship with their mother. We pray for healing through Christ. We pray, Lord, that Jesus would become the strength of all of us, Lord, because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We also pray, Lord, for those in the Netherlands. We thank you for Austin and the team that's there as they partner with Peter and McRae Hayes, as they're reaching out with the gospel to the Dutch, and we pray that they will have strength and the power of the Holy Spirit, opportunities to share their faith, and Lord, may their ministry bear fruit because they're going in the name of Jesus for your glory, and we know that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're visiting with us, I want to welcome you. If you have a Bible this morning, if you'll turn to the book of Romans chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming forward and we'll be glad to give you a Bible. Some of you may, or not ushers, just some of our folks are bringing their Bibles or bringing Bibles forward for you. But anyway, a couple things. One is if you're here this morning um, because mom invited you and you're here to, um, to show mom love, thank you for coming. So don't elbow her and say, see, see, you owe me just... Just go with it, you know, just, and then consider that maybe there's another reason that you're here. Maybe God had something that he wanted you to hear from the Bible. I believe that, and perhaps you may consider that that's the case by the time we're done. But anyway, we're in Romans chapter 15, and we, if you're not reading the Bible, if you haven't learned how to do that, we want to help you to do that. If, if you haven't learned to read the Bible for yourself and realize that the Bible is life-changing and practical and if you haven't yet come to believe that the Bible is the Word of God, then, then please, we'd love to talk to you. We have a mission here. It's to advance the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, which is laid out in the Bible, with the goal of making disciples who make disciples. Not because that's our idea, that's what Jesus said to do. And so the book of Romans really, really unfolds for us this, this good news from God that you can get right with God, you can be completely forgiven, you can know that you're going to heaven. You can, you can know that because Jesus died for you, if you come to him in repentance and you trust in him, you can be what the Bible calls saved, saved from the penalty of sin. You can become what the Bible calls born again, where your heart is changed. Now, some of you might not want that yet. You're like, I like my life, or I don't want to change, okay? But Jesus invites you to come to him and to be forgiven as a gift by his grace. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to clean up your life. If you have come to him, the book of Romans then teaches us that now that we're forgiven, we're learning how to follow him. We're learning what it means to be free from sin so that we can serve Jesus in this world. That's what we were created for. 
But the book of Romans is also addressing the issue of God's promises to the Jews. They were his people in the past. What about now? Why are so few Jews being saved? But we talked recently in the last section of Romans, 12 through the rest of the book, chapter 12 on, is, is very practical application. So let me just remind you of a couple basic things, and then we'll pick up today in chapter 15. The first thing Paul taught us, this is what God says, is once you're forgiven, he says, I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice to God. So, so we make a decision to live holy for Jesus, okay? If you haven't made that decision and you're a Christian, that's, that's God's will for you. He says, by the mercies of God, present your body, and then, then you live it out. You don't just come forward and cry and go home and live for yourself. You live it out, and he told us how to do that. He says, if you present your body to God and you're, you're being transformed, number one, you'll start to serve other Christians. So that's why we want you to get connected. If you're forgiven, a follower of Christ is part of a local church who, who is meeting with other Christians to help them grow, to to be served and helped and, and edified. That's what God, t- that's not an option, right? But then also we have to learn how to deal with, with difficult people because when we're hurt by people, we want to hurt them back. And Paul says, listen, if you're a Christian, don't take your own revenge. You may have people that are really difficult. He says, as much as is possible, you live at peace with them. Don't be overcome by their evil. Overcome evil with good. And then he said, in addition to that, if you're going to live for God, you're going to be a good citizen. You're going to be submissive to the government. Realize that God gave us government to protect and punish evil, and we're going to leave that in his hands. We then learn that God's goal for us is to become a loving person. Paul says the whole law is fulfilled in this. If you love one another, you love your neighbor. So we're learning. It's not easy to be a loving person. It's only through Christ who strengthens us. But the last couple of weeks, we've been in Romans 14 through 15. And that's all one unit, and it's all about unity on issues where Christians disagree. And and we talked about some examples. In this section, the Christians were disagreeing about whether they could eat meat, whether they could drink wine, or whether they had to keep the Sabbath. But today, Christians are, are, are disagreeing about whether you can drink wine, whether you can dance, whether you can go to movies, what books you can read, what shows you can watch. And we said that there are biblical absolutes. God has some very clear commandments. Okay, there's, no, there's no room for, you know, wiggle room when the Bible says you shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery. Having sex before your marriage, fornication, that's sin. Okay? There are clear absolutes. But then there are a lot of gray areas. The Bible doesn't say you can't go to the movies. It doesn't say you can never have a drink of alcohol. So what we've learned in Romans 14 and 15 is there's several principles that Paul has said. Number one, he says, regardless of what your position is, don't judge or don't despise someone who holds a different position. So I'm learning that, hey, this guy might go, I think cards is, playing cards is of the devil. And we go, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. No. Hey, I can accept that. I don't necessarily feel the same way. And if someone says, oh, you, you drink, you drink, you're sinning. No. You can't show that from the Bible. Drunkenness is a sin. So having a drink, the Bible does not say is sin. Okay, so we have to accept that we're going to have differences. Okay, but then he also said, I need to be convinced in my own mind. So you have to figure out, you're going to have to answer to Jesus. I'm going to have to answer to Jesus. Okay, so I can't have everybody putting all the rules on me. You have to do this. You have to do that. If you think it's wrong, Paul says, happy is he who doesn't condemn himself and what he approves. Be convinced in your own mind. But then he broadened it and he said, and this is what we looked at last week, but then I have to consider others. 
I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to do something that would cause another Christian to violate their conscience. So while I might not think it's wrong to have a drink of alcohol, what if there's someone who does? And, and, and they're sort of in this gray area. It's not someone who's judging me, but someone who, who would be tempted to violate their conscience. Paul says, why would, you, why would you wound your brother? Don't do anything that would cause another Christian to stumble. Do things that encourage them. Be willing to sacrifice some of your own liberties in order to help other people grow. Well, this morning, Paul's going to, he's going to wind it up, and we're going to look at chapters uh, 15, 1 to 13. We're going to see a really neat section where Paul's going to bring it back together, and he's going to say, listen, all of this, learning to get along, is going to bring glory to God. That, that's, that's the big picture. God offered his salvation to the world, not because he was lonely or because he was bored, but the Bible says that he does everything for his glory, for his praise. And on this, this planet where there's 7 billion people running around, most of them doing their own thing, Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Every time God brings someone to himself and then brings them together into a church and they learn to love each other, that glorifies him. And so what we're going to see this morning is that people of diversity living in unity bring God glory, Okay. And we're going to see there's lots of applications, people of diversity, because I'm not just talking about color. You might have suddenly realized after being married for a while, me and my spouse are really different. We think a lot differently, right? And there's a couple of things. There's a gender difference, right? Peter says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. But, but sometimes it's just the fact that people have had a different past, different experiences, and they view a lot of things very differently. And all of a sudden, you, you, you start butting heads because you have so many differences of which you disagree, right? And, and frankly, sometimes, my wife and I have, have noticed this, we've known people who aren't Christians. You know, the Lord's not even a part of their life, but they have a really easygoing marriage. You know, they just get along, hardly a crossword between them, you know, they think a lot alike, and it's like the Waltons. It really is, right? And, and, and some of you are looking around going, really? That happens, right? But for most people, it takes a lot more work, okay? And so what we're going to find here is that gospel unity in the midst of diversity is something that brings God's glory, but, but it doesn't happen naturally, okay? So let's start in verses 1 through 6 where Paul's going to invite us to, to, to follow Jesus' example, He's going to say, listen, I want you to follow Jesus' example of sacrificing self-interests for others, okay? So let's start at verse 1. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not, now, the, the, the New American Standard adds the word just. It literally just says in, in the Greek text, not please ourselves. Now, God's not up there asking you to, 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 to punish yourself, okay? It's very normal to please yourself, okay? Matter of fact, no one had to teach you that. Before you could even talk, if you didn't have your milk, right? That's just natural to, to know what I want, what I think I need, and to go, okay, this is what I live for. And, and really, that's the essence of how most people live, Nobody wakes up going, okay, what can I do to make myself miserable today, right? 
We're constantly searching for a way to find happiness, to bring pleasure to ourselves. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 5, no one ever hated his own flesh. So it's not that, okay, God doesn't want you to ever do things that bring satisfaction to yourself. But when you become a Christian, it's much bigger than that. And that's why, you know, even the world sort of bars this. It's not about you. So in the context when he says, if you're strong, you bear the weaknesses of those without strength, he's saying, listen, sacrifice self-interest for the sake of others. So he says, you may think it's fine to have a drink or to have meat, but he says, if you're strong in your conscience, be willing to give that up. This is part of what it means to be a Christian. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens. Jesus lived this way. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20, he says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he said it's better to give than to receive and help those who are weak. And so as Christians, we shouldn't just be like, Get out of the way, buddy. We're trying to help each other along. And that means I have to sometimes say, it doesn't have to be Burger King today. Moms, today's your day. Have it your way, right? But, but, but most of us want every day to be Burger King day. You know, we have, we have it. kids, you know this one, when you say to mom and dad, when's kids day? Parents, every day, every day is kids day, right? So as a Christian, it's not my day every day. I have to learn to sacrifice my interest. And that might mean something as small as, what are we going to... Okay, you can, you can pick what we watch on television. Or no, it doesn't have to be my favorite restaurant. Or no, we don't have to go here on vacation. Or no, um, yeah, I'd rather not clean the windows. I'd rather do this. So we're learning to sacrifice. Okay? Learning to put aside differences. And it's purposeful. Look, each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Now, this is a really important principle. There's two words that Christians should constantly think about, evangelism and edifying. Evangelism and edifying. If you're serving the Lord, those two things need to be part of your lifestyle. Now, evangelism is realizing that I'm not necessarily being asked by God to run around passing out tracts to everybody I meet, but I have to have a lifestyle that says I am committed to trying to bring people to Christ. And listen, 80% of people that come to Christ come through friends and family members. So there's people in your life that God is, is prompting you to pray for and to sacrifice in order to reach them. This is how Paul described his own lifestyle in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 33. He says, I please all men in all things, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many that they might be saved. So what would that look like when he says, please his neighbor for his good? The greatest good for my neighbor is to come to Christ. The greatest good for my fellow worker is for them to come to Christ. So what if I get tickets to a ball game? Do I always have to call my Christian friend? What if I want to have a picnic? Does it always have to be with other Christians? Or do I learn to sacrifice? Because this bothers me when Christians go, I don't have anything in common with non-Christians. Really? Do you like hamburgers? I mean, that's silly to think you don't have anything in common with them. You have a lot of things in common with them. And why would you expect them to be interested in Jesus if you're not interested in them, right? Knocking on their door once a year and going, you want to come to the Harvest Crusade? No wonder they don't come. So Paul says, listen, have this lifestyle of seeking to please anybody for, to win them to Christ. But then he says, to his edification. So I think he's especially talking about believers here. The word edify means to build Christians up. 
You can't edify a non-Christian. You can't build upon no foundation. So if you're not a Christian this morning, that's a starting point. You have to come to God through Jesus and be saved. But if you are saved, God then says, you got two things I want you to do. One is you're seeking to reach people. You're praying. You're learning how to share your faith. You're showing acts of love. But you're also seeking to help other Christians grow. Okay, now ask yourself, what am I doing to help anybody to grow? If you're married, are you doing anything to help your spouse to grow? If you're a parent, are you doing anything to help your kids to grow? If you're a Christian, are you doing anything that will help other Christians to grow? This is one of the reasons we're urging you to get connected in a small group. How am I going to help people to grow if I don't have any relationships? Okay? So when Paul says, seeking to his edification, we've talked about this before. You can encourage people. You can visit them. You can call them. You can pray for them. You could share your resources with them. We saw last week in Ephesians 4.29, Paul says, don't let any rotten words come out of your mouth. Only words that edify. So even sharing scripture with one another. And this won't happen by accident. I want to start with your family members. Every one of you who's in a family, be a student of your spouse or your children or your parents and think to yourself, how could I help them grow? Here's an interesting verse. In Hebrews chapter 10, Paul says, consider, think about, I don't know if Paul wrote Hebrews, but he says, think about how we can stimulate others to love and good deeds. You're like, well, I... I already do. I lecture them, or I tell my husband, why don't you turn the TV off and read your Bible? Or I say to my wife, well, you know, if you didn't read those novels and you read your, you know, no, not criticizing. What are you doing to help people grow? Husbands, for example, if you're not praying with your wives, right, is that, is that bizarre? I mean, if your wife says, no, I don't want to pray with you, you know, okay, but maybe because you just were so mean to her, right? But, but think about that. What, this, the church is a place where we're helping people to grow as Christians. Okay? It doesn't happen by osmosis. So Paul says, lays out this principle. He says, follow Jesus' example. Sacrifice for others. Seek to, to see this church grow. So the idea is we want to see this church grow in evangelism edification. And it's a blessing. I'm telling you, I'm seeing people, we're seeing people come to Christ almost every week. Not just Sunday morning, but... Every time I turn around, hey, this is my friend just came to the Lord. That's awesome. Praise God. But not just to get soul scalps like, wow, we got 100 souls saved. Now we're building them up, okay? And we're discipling one another. And so if you're a new believer, we want you to get connected so we can help you to grow. And then as you're growing, you're going to help other people to grow. So Paul says, look, this is what it looks like. Now let me give you the ultimate example. He says, don't just please yourself, for even Christ didn't please himself. Now, I want to remind you of something that we've talked about often. When you see this phrase, advancing the gospel to make disciples, when we get to the word disciple, a lot of times we're like, yeah, I'm making disciples. Well, what's a disciple? I don't know, but I'm making them. Well, so we got to go, remember, and and we say this frequently, a disciple. Pastor John shared, we, we gave you a definition and we gave you some examples, but a disciple is a forgiven follower of Jesus forgiven follower of Jesus who is growing to become like him, okay? 
God's goal for you is, first of all, for you to become a forgiven follower. And if you haven't, if you haven't entered by repentance and faith, that's a starting point. You can't be a disciple of Jesus until you just come as you are and you're forgiven. But then you become a follower who's growing to become like him. So whenever Paul would appeal to Christians to become like Jesus in a certain area, he, he would often say, let me remind you, this is how Jesus did it. So he says, even Christ sacrificed. But instead of pointing to the cross, he does something kind of interesting. He quotes from Psalm 69. He says, here's an example of how Christ sacrificed his interest. He says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, those of you who want to go into some more deep study, that's a quote from Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is a great psalm. It's a messianic psalm that's quoted often in the New Testament. It's quoted about giving Jesus sour wine when he was hanging on the cross. It's also quoted in John chapter 2 when Jesus cleared out the temple. This exact same verse, the first part of this verse, the Gospel of John quotes when it says, when Jesus cleared out the temple, this was to fulfill the scripture, zeal for my house has consumed me. Jesus was so consumed for God's honor that it was going to cost him his life. And then it says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So, how did Jesus exemplify sacrificing for the sake of others, okay? Well, every time people beat him, spit on him, hated him, cursed him, mocked him, stabbed him, nailed him, whipped him, that was not because of anything he did. It was because he loved you and me and because he loved the Father. Because notice what it says. This was David saying to God, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now think about what Jesus is saying here. God, I know people hate you, but I'm going to come to that earth and I'm going to let them hate on me because I want to love you and adore you, God. I'm willing to take the hatred of the world, not just because I love people and want to save them, but because I love you, God. And so Jesus took the, the thrashing and the hate and Paul says, there's an example. And then that, that reminds Paul to think even further. He goes, okay, if you and I are going to be sacrificing Christians, we want to follow Jesus' example. But then he goes, Jesus' example was written in the Old Testament. In fact, the whole Old Testament was written to fuel us and to show us how we can be enabled to do this because it's not going to be easy. You could sit here and go, amen, brother, but when Tuesday night comes around and you don't get it your way, you're going to be mad. You're going to be frustrated. And there's going to be people here that are going to hurt your feelings. And you're going to be tempted to go, that's the thing. It's really hard to be a Christian. So Paul goes, look, whatever was written in earlier times. So he says, let me teach you something. Read your Bible with this in mind, not to have your devotions. But he says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Well, why? Why did God give us the Bible? Why, why should I read the Bible? So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So here's the thing. Somebody once said to me, ah, the Bible's a strict book. And I go, really? I mean, is that your view? When you read the Bible, do you go, gee, this is a strict book. I mean, you're really missing it if that's how you view the Bible. If you view God up in heaven just going, go ahead, make my day. I'm looking for a reason to strike you. You're missing the whole message. Yeah, the Bible is a strict book in this respect. God is holy and he hates sin. 
But, but that's not the, the whole message. The message is, but he loves to forgive sinners. He loved them so much that he gave his son. And, and he wants to come alongside you and say, you can do this. And one way that he does this is through scripture. So here's a novel thought. When was the last time you read the Bible and found something encouraging? Can, can you think about that? Can you go, yeah, a couple weeks ago when I was reading about this. So if you're never finding anything encouraging, maybe you're not reading the Bible well or openly or, 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 or in a balanced way, okay? So God is teaching us two things, perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures. So you might be in a difficult marriage and you're like, this is really hard. And this is why a lot of people get divorced because suddenly they realize marriage is a lot harder than it looks. I want out, right? And God wants to teach us perseverance. He wants to teach us that, hey, maybe you're going to be in a difficult marriage. Maybe you have a difficult kid. Maybe you have a difficult health situation. Maybe you have a difficult job. And that doesn't mean that God's saying, let me get you out of it as quick as you can. He may be saying, listen, through through perseverance, through learning patience and suffering, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. So, so what I'm, I'm trying to say here is Paul saying, look, the scriptures fuel us in our, in our advancing the gospel. I want to be like Jesus. Well, what's he want me to do? He wants me to sacrifice to win people to Christ and to help Christians grow and tolerate and accept other Christians. And one of the ways that I learned to do that is I'm fueled through the scriptures. But then verse 6 says that I'm also fueled by God. God himself through prayer. So look how Paul closes this section. Let's keep, re- keep reading. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So, so you came in here this morning, you go, I'm having a hard time. Now what do you think God's thinking? Yeah, I know. And I'm loving every minute of it. It's great. I love to see you squirm. Or, or is, he, is he looking down saying, I know you're having a hard time, and I love you. And listen, I am the God who gives perseverance. I will give you strength. And I am the God who gives encouragement. So if you're having a hard time in a relationship, marriage, children, church, God's saying, listen, I want you by my power, by my grace, to find that I will encourage you so that you can be of the same mind. Now, now what does he mean by be of the same mind so that we can, with one accord. By the way, that's not a car with one accord. Somebody sent me a, a, an email, had a picture of Jesus. He's leaning on a, a beautiful silver Honda, and it said, Jesus never talked about his car. And I'm like, what? And then down, it had a quote from John 6. Jesus said, I do not speak of my own accord. And I'm going, no, that's not what, that's not what that verse means, okay? So... But what does it mean to be with one accord? It doesn't mean that we agree on everything, okay? But it means that we're learning to love and accept and forgive one another. Do you ever notice how, how Christians just get mad at other Christians and then they're like, I'm going to another church. They don't care about me. Listen, if you're waiting to find a perfect church, don't, even if there was one, don't go there. You'd ruin it because you're not perfect and neither am I. So I'll probably at some point hurt somebody's feelings. They're like, yeah, you've hurt mine lots of times. I'm sorry, okay? But the whole point is God wants people of diversity, right? People of different social class. We, we should welcome rich or poor here. 
We should welcome black or white or red. We should, we should be seeking with one voice. I love that. To glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the things that I'll do this once in a while during our worship time. I'll just stop and listen. You ever done that? Just stop and listen to everybody sing. Not because I want to rise up and sit beside God and say, so this is what it feels like, right? But because it's cool to hear a bunch of very different people with one voice singing praise to Jesus. That's what it's going to be like in heaven. The Bible says there'll be people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and we'll all be one body of Christ worshiping him together. But see, that's the easy part. To dwell above with the saints I love, that will be wonderful glory. But to dwell below with these saints I know, that's a different story. Because when we're in heaven, that'll be the easy part. It's now, right? And some of you have stopped going to church because you don't like what somebody said or you're mad at somebody or this church doesn't care about me or those people. Listen, a person should be able to come in here and I don't care if they have a six-foot spiked you know, mohawk and tattoos and spike coming all out of them. A, a, if a, what if a man came in here in a skirt? Would we say, get out of here, you're not welcome, right? What if a guy came in and he reeked of alcohol and he smelled and he was a street person? God wants us to welcome and love and, and, and strive to bring one another into a relationship with Christ as we grow together and pray for that. Pray that we might see greater unity, greater diversity, greater progress in the gospel because ultimately the purpose of this is it glorifies God. It brings praise and pleasure to God when Christians learn to get along. So Paul says, listen, follow the example of Jesus. Sacrifice to others for others. That brings glory to God. Then the last thing is verses 7 through 13. And here we're going to learn that we're not just to sacrifice, but we're also to accept. So follow Jesus' example of accepting one another. Look at verse 7. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us. And here's that phrase again, to the glory of God. Now, what does that mean, to accept one another? Do, do you accept me, man? What does that mean? It, it, it's got to mean more than tolerate, right? Yeah, I, I accept my wife. She's very different. Really? That's it? You, you tolerate her? Well, here's how you accept one another. Just as Christ accepted us. See, sometimes we're unwilling to accept someone until they change. You know, until, you know, that person's not, you, respect is something that's earned. Really? Respect is something that's earned. Hmm, that's clever. It's also unbiblical. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Would any of you say, love is something that's earned? So to accept someone is to say, listen, I don't have to wait till they change or think my way or they live up to my standard. How did Christ accept me? What were you like when you came to Christ? You're like, well, I'd love to tell you. I don't want to hear it right now. Especially if it's a testimony about how wonderful you are. How did Christ accept us? We were a mess. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, while we were weak, while we were in opposition, Christ died for us. And you know what's cool? Christ accepts sinners today the same way. There are a whole lot of people out there, maybe you're one of them who thinks, oh, God could never accept me. If you knew the things that I thought, if you did the things that I did, God could never accept me. You know what Jesus said? Anyone who comes to me, I won't cast them out. Jesus waits with welcome arms to any sinner 
That's the only thing you have to do to qualify is be a sinner. And you already qualified for that. And if you'll be willing to turn and come to Christ, he will accept you. You don't have to clean your life up. You don't have to say, well, once I quit my cousin and once I quit this and that, then he'll accept me. No, come as you are. Come a broken sinner. Come in faith and say, Jesus, I can't even change myself. I'm an addict or I'm a hater or I have, I have desires for the same sex or blah, 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 whatever it is. Come and Jesus will accept you and then that becomes the model. Hey, he didn't put any terms and conditions. You need to do this, 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 and this. Then I'll accept you. So he says, that's how we need to accept one another. So, as a church, when people come in, you're like, why do we put these name tags on, right? Because we want to continue to remind each other, hey, get to know one another, you know? Don't just acclimate to your friends and your group, that, that as a body of Christ, we're a welcoming family where people can come, and they can be honest, and they can share, and we can be a hospital to help them. So he says, accept one another as Christ accepted us. Now, in the context, it's Jews and Gentiles. So he's going to briefly move on to that subject. He's going to say, look at how Christ accepted Jews first. Verse 8. For I say that Christ became a servant to the circumcision. Now that, that's the Jews. When Christ came down here to earth and he became a man, he was born of the Virgin Mary, he came first to the Jews. The Bible says that. He came to the Jews first. Right? And he came because God had made promises them. God promised Abraham that he would bless him and that he would make him a great nation. And we've seen in Romans 11, God has a future for the Jews. So it's so sad to think of how many Jewish people do not accept Christ. He's the Messiah. He came to confirm all the Old Testament promises. But then most of us are going, well, what about us Gentiles? Why did Christ come here for us? Next verse. He says, and he came for the Gentiles. Jesus came for the Gentiles so that you and I could glorify God for his mercy. That's really cool to think about. Remember, I, yesterday I, I dropped a, a crumb off of the table and my dog, bam, he was on it. And, and, and I thought about that story of that. Remember when Jesus said, I'm only going to the Jews right now. And that Gentile woman, she came and she said, Jesus, could you help my daughter? He says, no, I, 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 came, I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says, I can't take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And she says, yeah, but even the dogs get the crumbs. And so as a Gentile, you and I should extraordinarily, not just that Jesus died on the cross, but that he opened the, way, the, the gates wide and he welcomed people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And if you're not thankful for God's mercy, then there's probably some things going on. Okay, and let, let me walk with you just for a moment. Remember when I first became saved, I would walk around the house singing Amazing Grace, right? My brother, who wasn't a Christian, he's like, why do you always sing that song? Don't you know any other songs? And it was just, I was just so excited, right? I once was lost. Somebody was just sharing me this morning, a, a new believer that came to Christ. They're going, now I get it. When we're learning the Bible, I get it, right? That's so cool. And so when someone first comes to the Lord, they're like, oh, praise the Lord. Praise God. I'm saved. Thank the Lord. And, and those of us who have been saved for a while, we just are like, yeah, I remember that. Just hang around us for a while. That'll wear off, you know. And so sometimes I, I stop and I ask myself, why am I not more grateful for my salvation? Remember the story that Jesus told to Simon the Pharisee? He says, Jesus, don't you know what kind of woman that is? That Jesus says, let me ask you a question. If a man forgive one guy a million bucks and another guy ten bucks, who's going to love him more? He says, of course, the guy who forgave more. 
And Jesus says, yeah, and he who is forgiven much loves much. Now, who of us here has been forgiven much? If you don't answer all of us, that's why you're not thankful for God's mercy. Just because you weren't a murderer, just because you haven't done a bunch of hideous things, we've all been forgiven much. And the gospel always calls us back to say, wow, thank you, Jesus. And so one of the ways that we glorify God, among others, but this passage is going to focus on corporate worship. So what I want you to think about is when we gather together, right, and you decide you don't want to sing, ah, this isn't my style, or I don't like this song, or I don't feel like singing, right? Paul says, look at all these scriptures. Now, he's going to do two things. One, he's going to pull out scriptures that talk about God saving Gentiles, but he's also going to pull out scriptures that talk about singing praise to God as a result of that. And I'm going to give you a new word today. This is just so you can sound intelligent. Some of you already know it. A katina. This is a katina. A katina is a string of quotes. Paul was so familiar with his Bible that he put together a string of quotes, a katina of Old Testament scriptures about Gentiles. So you can impress your friends. You could say, I think I'm going to just share a katina of Shakespeare. Problem is I could get to like et tu brute and that's probably about it. I don't, I don't know any more Shakespeare. So Paul gives a katina of quotes about the Old Testament, but this is us. As you and I sit here, we're going to sing a closing song. This is what God's desire is for us. Therefore, Paul says, the Old Testament says, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, the Jews. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. So when, when we come together, we sing, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. We're supposed to be praising God. And let all the peoples praise him. Isaiah says, the root shall come from Jesse. And he who rises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. So there's this thing of saying, when I come to church, it should be a corporate celebration. And by the way, one of the reasons that maybe you're not getting nothing out of the corporate celebration is because you haven't learned to have an individual celebration. Are you and Jesus ever talking during the week, busting open the book, thinking about the gospel like he loves me? Today's a new day. His mercies are new. I think sometimes we think, well, I'll, I'll wait till I get, in this, I'll get in the flow. You know, it's not about getting in the flow. God is so good to us. And what an insult. You go, well, that's not my personality. And I go, stop it. I've seen you watching the Eagles. It's not about your personality. You just flat out are just not into it, right? So you don't have to fake, you don't have to jump up and down, you know, but, but if your heart is like, ah, well, whatever, then I need to pray and say, God, you have mercy on me. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came. So just before, see, I'm setting you up because we're going to sing, but just before that, I want you to look at verse 13 because I think verse 13 in many ways is perhaps a great summary of the whole book of Romans because at the beginning of Romans, Paul says, I'm so eager to share the gospel with you. I'm set apart for the gospel. He says, I serve God through the gospel. I'm eager to preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And here's why. Because he knows that the gospel brings glory to God and it brings believers joy and peace. We're all running around on this earth trying to find joy and peace. If I just had a happy marriage, if I just had a better job, if I just had a good friend, if I just had good health, if I just had a good vacation or a good car, none of those things are going to give us joy and peace. The only thing that can give deep 
and real and lasting and eternal joy and peace is the Lord Jesus through the gospel. So Paul says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Now, what would you trade for that? You're like, not me. I'd rather have a, a, a good-looking woman, right? Or a great job. I'm like, not me. Give me joy and peace, and you can leave me single and leave me in the trenches, right? Give me the joy and peace of the Lord. Everything else is just icing on the cake. You say, well, how's he going to fill me with all joy and peace? In believing, or literally, you could translate that, by believing, And so this is why we talk about this all the time. The gospel isn't something that you leave behind after you become a Christian. The gospel is something that you rehearse and embrace and more and more deeply understand and more and more deeply believe. And the more that I believe that that love from Jesus is coming down towards me, the more I can have joy and peace in this world that's full of chaos. And we're going, what's going to happen in politics? Well, pray about it. But is that going to take away your joy and peace if you don't get your candidate? If you don't get married? If you, what a beautiful testimony that Christy shared. If I can't have kids, can I have no joy and peace? If I don't have a happy marriage, am I robbed of joy and peace? No. God fills us with joy and peace as we believe the gospel. And so I, I ask you this morning, at what level are you embracing and believing the gospel? You're like, well... I believe I'm saved. Is that it? Do you believe that God loves you? He's, he's, he, 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 he absolutely thinks about you 24-7 with, with fond affections, that you're dear and precious to him, that he's not looking up there going, you are such a disappointment. You are such a failure. Do you think he looks at you with condemnation or do you believe the gospel? that he sees me through Jesus, that he sees me as forgiven, that he sees me as righteous through Christ, that he sees me as free. And as I embrace that gospel, I can praise the Lord. I can rejoice in the Lord. I can say, yeah, I don't like this going on in my life. I don't like, but I can just keep bringing my, my request to God and the peace of God fills me and strengthens me and carries me through. And so as we close this morning, I'd encourage you to to make this a memory verse. Put this on the refrigerator. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing the gospel and rehearsing the gospel. So instead of coming alongside your kid when you're training him and saying, why did you do that? How could you do that? You come alongside them with the gospel, say, hey, I'm a sinner too. And, And there's consequences when we fail, but isn't it good to know that Jesus died for us? Isn't it good to know we're forgiven? Isn't it good to know that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ? And then ultimately, Paul says, so that you as Christians will abound in hope, that you will overflow with a great optimism. There's nothing worse than to be hopeless. Hope always looks at the future, right? Are you hopeless about your future? Do you have no purpose for living? Do you have nothing to look forward for? Are you despairing? There's no place for a Christian to be hopeless. Now, we're often helpless, but never hopeless. And so this morning, God infuses hope in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think I could speak for Bob and all of our leadership. We are so excited about what God's doing in our church. We are seeing people get saved. We are seeing people growing. We are seeing the Holy Spirit move in people's lives. And this is what I want to emphasize. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer once said this about Christians in America. He said, I think the Holy Spirit could leave the churches and it would take them months before they even realized it. It's a great reminder that anything that's eternal, that's significant, every time a soul gets saved through the ministry of this church, every time someone grows, every time someone's healed and delivered from an addiction or, or, or strengthened to go on with the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit. It's not by might nor by power, but by God's spirit. And so pray with me that God will pour out upon our church, upon you, joy and peace, whatever you're going through. As Benjamin comes, let's bow together and let's ask God to help us to accept people, to sacrifice, to want to reach people, to build this church for the glory of God. Father, thank you so much. And as we stand together now, may we with one voice, with one mouth, glorify God. May we be reminded that it is in Christ alone that we have all of these blessings. I pray for those who are brokenhearted today that you'll fill them with joy and peace. And for those that aren't saved, that they would come to Jesus by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.